Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. I'm really excited about this one. We're going to go and dive into one of the most exciting cities in the world. And to help us do that, we are joined by China Buff, journalist and now author, Johan Nilander. Johan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Graham. It's my pleasure to be on your show. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. I've been looking forward to this since you agreed to appear on the show because this is possibly one of the hottest topics right now, Shenzhen. And I say it's one of the hottest topics because a lot of people, especially people outside of Asia, are discovering Shenzhen for the first time. A lot of people have never heard of it. So Shenzhen Superstars, the book, How China's Smartest City is Challenging Silicon Valley, put us in a position straight from the top. Where the hell is Shenzhen anyway, for those that don't know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a very good question to, to start this discussion. So um, I'm based in, in Hong Kong, in the south of China, and right across the border is this mega city. It's, mm. it's one of the world's biggest uh, cities. It's called Shenzhen. It's home to some of the world's leading technology companies. It's home to some of the world's most you know, energetic, fantastic uh, startups. And uh, just to put the city in some uh, perspective, some 40 years ago, the area was basically a small fishing village. It, oh. was, it was nothing. It was poor, uneducated. Today is home to some 20 million people. It's, mm. it's the world's fastest growing city ever. It's phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, the skyline has changed even. I mean, you moved to Hong Kong 2010, 2011, round about then, right? Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, I mean, Hong Kong is one of the most vertical cities in the world, right? But Shenzhen, just over the border, the skyline in seven years must have changed radically. Can you actually see that change from just looking at the city? Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. So I go to uh, Shenzhen often, and, and every time it's slightly different. Last year, Shenzhen, this one single city, built more skyscrapers than the entire United States. Wow. And they did, yeah, and they did the same thing the year before that and the year before that. So it's just it, new skyscrapers are shooting up like uh, bamboo. It's, it's, it just doesn't stop, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of people talk about Shenzhen on Asia Tech Podcast. Many of our guests have business interests there. Many of them are, like yourself, based in Hong Kong, and they have business in Shenzhen, which seems to be a great sort of best of both worlds. So what I'd like to do is unpack your book, Shenzhen Superstars, and talk about why Shenzhen you know, what What makes it special? What's the magic formula? What's happening there? Also, you know, you talk about how Shenzhen, China's smartest city, is challenging Silicon Valley. So what is it that people outside of the valley need to know about? And then some of the stories of the people inside of Shenzhen. I mean, I noticed in your book, there's some real characters like Naomi Wu, for example, that, you know, in your book, you sort of detail the people living in Shenzhen and what the kind of lifestyles are like there, which I think is fascinating. Can we start with this story? There's this really interesting sort of introduction to your book about Scotty Allen, who is yeah. a Silicon Valley veteran 
who who would be i guess a silicon valley flag flyer you know like he's very much pro silicon valley and if i can quote if i may johan he comes to shenzhen you know reasonably open-minded but he's coming there on a business trip he he looks around he explores he experiences and you talk about what he experiences and then he says this is really important because there's two lines here which kind of set the tone one is you know he sees everything and he says wow this is cool and then the second line is wow we're fucked so can you unpack that a little bit what's the context of that story or what does it mean to us yeah so so this guy, Scotty Allen, he, he's, uh, as you said, he's a uh, Silicon Valley veteran. And it was important for me when I wrote the book that I don't say that it's a cool city. I don't have, uh, as you said, I've interviewed like tons of local people. But I wanted like an, an outsider, you know, who, who, who comes from a totally different mindset, mm. an American mindset, who comes to China, who comes to Shenzhen and, and goes like, wow, I, I wasn't prepared for this. So... So Scotty Allen, he told me, like many of his American friends and, and you know, colleagues, they, they had this you know, view of superiority that you know, China is poor, China is uneducated. It's, it's a place where we farm out the things that, that we don't want to do, mm. right? And, that, and then he, he set foot in Shenzhen. And as you said, he was uh, astonished, you know. Um, he, he told me that coming to Shenzhen is like visiting the future, you know, this, this sort of feeling that all boats are rising. People are really smart, really innovative, really, really creative. And he told me how he realized that something unique was happening in this city, in, uh, in the Pearl River Delta in Shenzhen. And, and that is that China is about to outsmart um, United States in terms of technology. Mm. And I think... When it comes from a guy like that who's been working as a software engineer at, at Google, he had worked for several startups in, in the Valley. He ran his own startup. I can't believe him, right? He, mm. He's got the background. He's got the credential to, to make such a statement. Um, what was important for, for him to point out uh, is that he doesn't see it as a competition. Is, is Shenzhen better than Silicon Valley is United States ahead of America. For him, it's more like all boats are rising. Like there are people both in the Valley, in China, in Berlin, in Stockholm, in Tokyo, doing really cool stuff, right? And I think that's that's quite important to um, mm. to point out. There are you know good people everywhere. What's important for people in United States or in Europe is to realize that South China and Shenzhen, it's it's not just you know catching up with the United States in a lot of areas. It's 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 you know it's it's ahead of the curve. Mm. Yeah, you, you talk in the book about patent filing as well, so, or patent, depending what part of the world you're from, and how now innovation is really sort of concentrated in cities like Shenzhen. So I mean, let, let's talk about some of the data here, so people can understand it from that perspective. I think, you know, like you said, a, a lot of us Westerners, I mean, I live in Asia, but I still have, you know, grew up in the West, think of China as like the cheap warehouse of the world, right? You know, it's where we make the cheap knockoffs and the cheap technology. However, you, like you say in your book, like half of all the patents filed in China are coming out of Shenzhen. And these are not sort of 
patents which are, you know, how to improve a manufacturing process. This is like artificial intelligence, drones, IoT, big data, real sort of cutting edge stuff, right? So do you think that, you know, you talk about the the innovation side of things in Shenzhen. Do you think that even now that people are unprepared for the kind of technology coming out of Shenzhen at the moment? Uh, I think that people across the world you know, desperately needs to pay attention to what's to what's happening here. You, you have some of the the companies in Shenzhen that that are just you know mind blowing. Um, one of the companies that fires for most patents is is uh, Tencent. Is yeah. one of the, one of the world's biggest uh, internet companies, right? They have an app called WeChat. Sometimes it's being compared to WhatsApp. But it's just totally wrong. So WeChat is, if you combine WhatsApp with Facebook, with Google, with PayPal, with Amazon, and with any kind of, uh, with, with, with Uber, with, you know, uh, with Tinder, like you take all these Silicon Valley companies and combine them into one app. Mm-hmm. And I met this young woman. She's an entrepreneur in uh, Shenzhen. She's 22 years old. She, she's CEO and runs her own company, as you do in Shenzhen when you're 22. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she has an edtech company. Um, she has this online platform where mentors meet with students, right? And it's an online platform. She doesn't have a website. I tried to Google her. I, I found nothing. Right. She doesn't have an app. So how can you have an online platform without being on internet mm. right so her whole in, uh, business is in in wechat mm. like her whole platform is in wechat there is where mentors and students meet they upload the documents they communicate all the payment functions are there and the company does its marketing mm. and 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 I, I asked her the the founder like so why don't you have a website why do you use wechat and she looked at me like I was an old grandfather. <laughs> like, like, so, like, yeah. there's where people are, right? Wow. So, so WeChat is so big now. So it's becoming like a new online universe, mm. right? It's like a new online universe. People use WeChat, and and not a normal browser, like not not, not normal um, internet. Mm. So there's so, so much things going on there that are you know behind. The, the great firewall, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think this is something that visitors struggle with, isn't it? That often I hear a lot of people say they go to Shenzhen because that's the first city over the border from Hong Kong, really, the first big city. And they try and pay for a taxi and they try and pay for a taxi with cash. And most taxi drivers won't take cash because you have to pay with WeChat. Or they'll try and pay, they'll go to some local restaurant and they can't pay because, you know, they don't have WeChat. So in, in a sense, you know, I don't think we're, we're sort of prepared for that, that you, you know, that whole sort of system exists, you know, especially when it comes to payments, that how far advanced they are, because, you know, I think we just really have to take a look and lift the lid on places like Shenzhen, because like you say, the future's there already. You know, we're mm. playing catch up in many parts of the world, right? Yeah, I mean, this this thing with with the mobile payments, uh, the latest numbers that came out show that uh, the the Chinese make sixty times more mobile payments than 
people in United States. Wow, is that as a population but, or per head? Uh, in in the total numbers. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so I mean, when we talk about mobile payments, for, for them it's just like, what do you mean? That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. normal. Yeah. yeah. And naturally, the taxi driver, the restaurant, they will always accept cash. You know, they, they love to make money, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but you, will, you will feel old school. You will f you have to bow your head and say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you go to, you go to restaurants. You, you, you don't ask for the menu. You, you scan a QR code on your table. The mm -hmm. menu pops up on your phone. You, you uh, click on the stuff you want to order. You, you press pay. You wait. Uh, five ten minutes later, it will arrive on your table. You, you don't have to, you know, sit and wave your arm and you know, fufu yeah, fufu yeah, can mm -hmm. I order please? It's just, it's just so convenient. It's just so fast. And um, and and for the Chinese, this is normal. Mm. Now, you you go to a street vendor, you know, vendor who who sells noodles. Um, they do WeChat. Mm. I mean, everywhere or uh, Alipay. It's um, and and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's there. It's it's just normal for them. Exactly. Uh, it, it is amazing. We'll unpack a little bit more on the, the tech side as well in a minute. Before we get there, Johan, why? why? Why did you write this book? Why did the world need this book? Why did you need to tell the story of Shenzhen? Because it sounds uh, like, you know, th there's a million stories in there. And if you come and have a look, you'll see it for yourself. So why did you need to go out there and tell that story? Yeah, it's... It, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know if I if if it was me who who chose to write about Shenzhen or if it was you know Shenzhen who who chose me as a <laughs> writer. Right. I mean, I mean, someone had to do it. It's it's one of the world's most interesting, fascinating cities. Mm. Shenzhen and and its companies and its people are you know redefining how how we are engaging with technology. It's a city that grows faster than anything you have ever seen, right? And still almost none of my friends back home in Sweden, none of my you know, colleagues in you know, United States and Europe have even heard of the city. No. So you, you, you could put it in like this, right? Imagine a venture capitalist, like a tech startup venture capitalist um, who has never heard of Silicon Valley, mm. right? Who has never heard of Google. It's, it's that absurd. So that's why I I, 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 choose, I have to write these right. stories, right? right? And I have met so many fascinating people in, in the city. So yeah, um, I had to write it, right? And, and uh, the response has been really good too. Yeah, I can imagine. People are so interested in this subject and for, for good reason as well. Uh, you mentioned the example of a, of a VC not knowing about Silicon Valley or Google. I wonder how much of that is by choice. So, you know, when you talk about Shenzhen and especially when you talk about it outside of Asia, do, you know, do you find that some people find it a little bit difficult to hear this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I had this conversation with a friend um, recently and he said the reason everybody knows about Silicon Valley and no one knows about Shenzhen is that Shenzhen is such a difficult word to pronounce and it's so difficult to, <laughs> right. to spell, right? So if you try to Google it, you won't find it because you don't know how to spell it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree that a lot of people in the West, you know, they, they still 
sit on a high horse with a high hat, you know, feeling yeah. superior. Like, we are the one running the world. We are the most advanced. China is just a copycat. Um, we shouldn't worry. But that that's just so wrong, mm. right? Um, yeah. And, yeah, and then also things like a lot of people in China, they, if, if people in the West know about them or not, that, that's not so important. You know, mm-hmm. they, they make really good business. They have, you know, the world's biggest home market. So maybe they don't care so much about what people across the world think. Well, that, that makes it an even more interesting story, doesn't it? That maybe they don't need the West to complete this story. I mean, obviously, they will work together because, like you say, there's, there's great people everywhere in the world. Yeah. But they don't rely on the approval of the West to, you know, they don't have to be the next Silicon Valley, right? Which is obviously often the problem, isn't it? They try to become, you know, the, the Silicon whatever. And yeah. often yeah. They, they can stand on their own right. I, I want to ask you a question, um, which was sort of right. Ra- I mean, it's the point raised by Jim Rogers, who's Jim Rogers is the adventure capitalist, the, you know, the, the guy who's always on, CNN or CNBC with his bow tie. And, uh, you know, he was one of the first people to get into China back in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, he was saying, you've got to get into China because this is all going to happen. And there's a, there's a famous quote by him I want to talk about now, which he says, you know, if you were smart in 1807, you would have moved your family to London. You know, if you were smart in 1907, you would have moved your family to New York if you were smart in 2007, you would move your family to Asia. And he moved his family from New York to Singapore, I think, or to Asia. And his kids speak Mandarin and so on. So he's fully, you know, back in 2007, he moved to Asia. Do you think, and a lot of people talk about this shift, and I don't know to what extent it's hype, what extent is reality, but when you talk about Shenzhen, sort of tells us that there's a a sort of a focal point for this shift that you know the world is heading east in some way right is it real is it something that's happening is it something that will happen in our lifetimes you know will there be a point where shenzhen will become the new new york the capital of the world those kind of you know those kind of titles what's the reality yeah, I mean, this is this is really exciting questions, and it's it's a thing that I I think about a lot. So if you look at that things are moving east, it's it's uh, obvious. I mean, honestly, there, 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 there's no way around it. You have Southeast Asia, you have you know Korea, Japan, and and China. So out here is where everything is happening. There, there's there's no way around it. Um, if you look at Shenzhen. Um, if it's becoming a metropolis, if it if it's becoming the new New York or London, it's it's getting more international by the day. You have more foreigners moving in. You have more cocktail lounges, you know, craft beer bars, stand up comedy and stuff. At the same time, it's getting more and more Chinese because um, you know, for every Westerner moving to Shenzhen, you you have say one thousand Chinese moving into. Shenzhen, right? Mm. From all, all over China. So at the same time as it's getting more international, it's also getting more Chinese. Mm. So it, it's for people in China, it's it's a really cool thing to move to Shenzhen because for them it's uh, it's just, you know, exploding with different cultures. And um, 
I don't know where where it's gonna. You, you will definitely have areas in Shenzhen if if we look forward that that will have a lot of Western mm. and foreign faces. I mean, right. most definitely, it's it, it's it's uh, or already happening, and I think it's gonna accelerate. Yeah, exciting times. Let's talk about some of the stories of the people in Shenzhen Superstar. You, you mentioned, you know, one one of the uh, examples of this lady, the twenty two year old who runs her business through WeChat. It's just one example of that sort of that hustle, that natural hustle that's in. Uh, Shenzhen. I, I wanted to ask you about this character Naomi Wu in your book, which is, yeah. uh, you know, it's just fascinating because it, it, it's sort of a, the other side, really. It's sort of the less obvious side of a very entrepreneurial environment. Tell us a little bit about her and why you wanted to tell her story. Yeah, Naomi Naomi Wu, or um, she, she's online. She's famous for a sexy cyborg, right? <laughs> Um, and she's a real like power girl. This this is this is girl power like full on. Um, she is famous for being a hacker, a maker, with the most you know sexual approach you can ever imagine. So I was sitting in this like VR cafe waiting for her. She came in with like the shortest skirt I've seen in my life, <laughs> uh, like the the most huge uh, silicone boobs I've ever seen in my life, and uh, high heels. And the whole cafe, you know, like went quiet, and everybody looked, <laughs> looked at her. And 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 she's really clever. Like she's she's really clever. So she's she says, people look at me, they think I'm a bimbo. But then they they, they watch my videos. She makes these YouTube videos when she's making stuff. She's making stuff. She's making like uh, assembling her own three uh, D printer. Yeah. With the three D printer, she's making stuff. Um, and and it's very creative, creative from uh, like uh, both in terms of um, what what she's doing and, and also how she's doing it. Yeah. So first they think I'm I'm a bimbo, then they see what I can do, and then they they think, wow, if she can do it, I can do it. Right. So she wants to inspire other young women to go into making, go into um, technology. Mm. She she's got a lot of uh, self confidence and. And what I also like with her that not just that she's very talented in terms of technology, uh, also that she's a strong individual. So a lot of people in the West they think that all Chinese they just do what they're told. Right. It's like it's like yeah. an army of of robots who sit in long long rows in factories, just uh, you know doing what they're told all all day long. But you have a growing mentality of I want to do my thing but I don't care what other people do this more like punk thing that you see Mm. in Europe United States you know and you and with this mentality you have a lot of creativity you have a lot of you know innovation a lot of cool startups being being uh, set up which which I think is very important um, if if you want to have a a dynamic uh, business life Mm. Uh, and she's really like a really strong face for the whole making uh, community in uh, Chenson. Yeah, fascinated by the fact you brought up that word punk, because you know if if you draw parallels, that youth movement sort of go back to the mid to sort of mid late seventies. That you know the punk movement is very sort of do it yourself, wasn't it? Even the fashion, you know, whether you, if the fashion was like wearing a bin bag, you know, and a safety pin, that was sort of cool because that's sort of you know you did it yourself 
in a way, there's parallels here with Naomi. She's making her own things, right? And not playing by the rules and challenging people's perceptions about who you are or what you do. And I think that's fascinating because these are the last things you would assume that young Chinese people were doing, right? Mm. And I think that that's really interesting. Is that a Shenzhen thing in particular? Do you think that's more sort of prominent people like her in Shenzhen or is that all over China? Yeah, so you have some areas. Uh, if you look at the music scene, uh, Beijing is, is, you know, is definitely the most, you know, punk music scene, right? Uh, when it comes to technology and startup and uh, like doing your own business, Shenzhen is, is definitely the epicenter. Mm. Um, Every time I make interviews with these, you know, young kids running startups, I, I ask them like, what's what's the you know what's the secret behind the success in this city? And and everybody tells me that it's everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, like everybody yeah. want to do their own business. Um, a friend of mine told me in Shenzhen, no one wants to be em- employed, right? Yeah. And I, I saw this study. It's a Swedish company called. Uh, Universum, they make these studies every year globally. They ask graduates, people who are about to graduate from universities, like, where do you want to work? Like, do you want to work for the government, for a big consultancy company, or what do you want to do? In Shenzhen, it was like uh, 60% said, I want to join a startup or do Mm -hmm. my own startup, like 60%. The equivalent number in Beijing was 15. Wow. So that's a massive... Uh, you know, difference in mentality. What do you think the the equivalent would have been in a European or a American city? Yeah, I mean, it's really high. I think a lot of young graduates in uh, in Stockholm, for example, they, they want to do work for a startup like Skype or uh, right. you know, Spotify. But but they are already you know they already have their feet on the ground, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in Europe, in the United States, it's, it's quite popular to work for uh, startups also. Right. I don't know, like, I'm quite surprised when I look at the numbers in, in Sweden, people still want to work for the big consultancy companies. Like exactly. That. Yeah, I mean, wanting to work for and actually going and trying to get a job at one is different, isn't it? And, and th- those levels at 60% in China, in, in Shenzhen, graduates who want to work for a startup is, is phenomenally high yeah. you know, in comparison yeah. to... Beijing, that creates, I mean, this is an important part of the story, isn't it? The culture. I mean, you talk about innovation, you talk about, you know, the, the resource side of things, you know, the people, access to capital, all that stuff. But the culture is a really important part, isn't it? And this is where often when people talk about Silicon Valley, they talk about how Silicon Valley cannot be copied because it has a culture which is unique. You know, if you're a, a startup founder, you've got to, Silicon Valley, because that's where all Silicon, you know, that's where all startup founders go. And when you have that concentration of startup founders and entrepreneurs together, it's like entrepreneurs squared, isn't it? It's like, you know, you're surrounded by people who it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. It's okay to take risks. However, you know, if you work in maybe London, for example, you're surrounded by people with jobs who you know, have a mortgage to pay, are thinking about their promotion, work for the bank or work for the government, etc. So you get that kind of entrepreneurial zeitgeist like you, you get in in Shenzhen. So I, I'm curious, like, you know, how does that actually feel 
in Shenzhen? What kind of, you know, are, is it really tangible? Can you see everywhere entrepreneurial activity, hustle, young people building stuff? You know, yeah, what- I mean, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, um, I think this is a very important point, the, the feeling, the, the atmosphere. Exactly. If, if you surround yourself with people who are, you know, they are risk, risk willing, they want to they want to do their own business you you will also be you know sucked into that kind of mindset and i think that's really important so if you go to shenzhen you go to uh huachan bay which is first of all is famous for being uh, the 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 uh, the hub for pirate goods in in the world like you can find anything here a uh, copy of anything but you also have all these people who are very creative right so you can you can find these iPhones with um, where you can add three or four SIM cards. Right? Wow, that um, would be good. That's amazing. Yeah, so 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 you have this like they they, they do copies, but then they improve them, right? Yeah. And everybody is a, a businessman. Like everybody is a businessman. So today the uh, the city doesn't make any money from piracy, right? Mm-hmm. But but you still have this thing that you you can walk down on the street like if if you're in hardware, uh, first of all you have this like co-working spaces like everywhere like everywhere uh, accelerators, and you also have the access to to hardware to manufacturing, and you can walk down to Huachan Bay and just buy any components that you want, hmm. right? Like like Scotty Allen uh, from from uh, that we talked about earlier, you know he built his own iPhone. He walked down on the street and he has yeah, built his yeah. iPhone. So you have this mentality that there's, there's access to uh, venture capital. You have all the components. You have all the factories. Everybody want, wants to make money and everybody wants to run their own startup. So this is like in the air. This is what people breathe mm. every day. And you, you just can't miss it when, when you go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I wonder what the historical parallels were would it would it have been like going to san francisco the turn of the 19th 20th century maybe you know like the whether it was the the original pioneers panning for gold or you know the 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 entrepreneurs that came later in the early 20th century there must have been that kind of vibe right a similar vibe different era similar vibe everybody had come here to make something to better their lives to look for work to you know build a business or whatever so i'm i I don't think we've ever you know we haven't seen this really in the last well i don't know how many years there hasn't been a similar parallel in our lifetimes you know there hasn't been a creation of a city or a space in the world where there's this kind of activity has there yeah i mean i think i think this is very important is um you have you know access to talent right access to money but the most important is that the the people in, in Shenzhen, they, they feel that it's our time. Like, uh, it's, it's China's time, um, and I want to I be part of it. And Shenzhen is the best place to be, right? People in Hong Kong, they said, you have that spirit in Hong Kong like 30 years ago, and, yeah, and yeah. now people are, you know, quite, quite, quite gloomy in uh, Hong Kong. And also a very good thing with Shenzhen is that you, you, you can live there really cheap. Right, you some parts of of the city, the the apartments are you know the most expensive in China, 
but then you can go to like other areas where you can you can you can get a flat for say 200 us a month right so as an entrepreneur you don't have to have those massive overhead costs yeah right so a, a very good example of this is the telecom company huawei uh, but when I grew up, you know, Ericsson, uh, Sweden's Ericsson was always the biggest yep. telecom company in the world. And 10 years ago, Ericsson was still twice as big as Huawei. Today, Especially on the, the back office side of things, yes. right? They built the whole internet that ran telecoms, right? Effectively. Yeah, exactly. All the, uh, all the, all the stations and uh, everything. So 10 years ago, Ericsson was still twice as big as Huawei. Now, 10 years later, Huawei is three times bigger yeah. than Ericsson. It's just mind-blowing. And remember that Huawei was founded 30 years ago mm. in a small apartment in downtown Shenzhen. They had a starting capital of uh, 21,000 RMB, which is about 3,000 US, yeah. 2,500 US. And the, founder, uh, the founders and the staff, they all worked for this from this small apartment and they also lived in this small apartment wow right? wow but th that's not an unusual story in china is it i mean you hear similar stories with jack ma and the, you know the, and so on that that real hustle that entrepreneur true entrepreneurs really who started with virtually nothing and, and built something amazing you know something really special i, I wonder johan if you sat a group of young Chinese entrepreneurs, or, or not necessarily entrepreneurs, but let's say 20-something Chinese from Shenzhen, you sat them with the same in Sweden and London and LA, that would be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Mm. That, you know, I, I wonder what their, their outlooks would be like and how they would be different in some way. Yeah. I mean, first of all, this group that you just said, uh, something extraordinary is going to happen, right? Um, they, they will all come from uh, technical backgrounds that are slightly different and, and business backgrounds that are different and culture backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I think if, if you get uh, 10 people from Silicon Valley, Stockholm, Shenzhen and London and bring them together in one room, something really cool is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. They're all going to bring different things to the table, but that would be a good, good, good room to be in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about Shenzhen. I, I want to talk about, you know, whenever I hear the media talk about Shenzhen, and I consider myself part of the media as a podcast, and you write for CNN and Forbes and so on, so you're part of the media as well. I, I sometimes hear parallels drawn between Shenzhen and Blade Runner. Mm. And is that justified? Is that kind of taking us down the right path? Does that help us understand it? Because, I mean, you know, I love Blade Runner as a movie, you know, and obviously, you know, Blade Runner, Ridley Scott set that originally on Tokyo. I mean, that was the backdrop, right? So, but it was a very dystopian, dark view of the future, wasn't it? It was sort of a very negative view of what a city would, like, would look like in the future. Do you think when people make parallels between Shenzhen and Blade Runner, it's it's justified? Are there things that you know we could take from that? Yeah, I mean the feeling in Blade Runner, some parts of Shenzhen and also here in Hong Kong, yeah, you can definitely feel it. And I never saw it as a very negative view of the future. Yeah, it's very dy 
dystopic. Yeah, I totally mm. agree there. But it's also very, very exciting. You know, how everything is connected. Um, you have a lot of people on the ground, and you also have a lot of, um, you know, technology that are connecting people everywhere. And and this you can see in Jensen. You walk, you walk down some of the, the areas where, you know, kids are standing on the street selling uh, like uh, robots that they have built themselves. You can buy any kind of uh, technology, uh, uh, tech stuff. Like you can buy any kind of tech stuff on the streets in uh, uh, in these little, little, little back alleys. Uh, and you can also buy any kind of you know, technology that you can build your own stuff. Mm. And you also, I mean, on the more negative side is that all of China is kind of turning into a big surveillance system. So that also taps into this Blade Runner mm. thing. You have you have face recognition like everywhere on the streets. Um, it, there's no way to hide anymore. And, and this is scary and it's really cool, right? Mm. Um, if you compare to Blade Runner, like um, you walked in, you, you walk into KFC in in uh, China. They have the, the camera recognizes your face. It it feels it, it it sees how are you feeling today, right? And it and it will recommend a menu for you. And you pay by smiling, and the money <laughs> is taken from your uh, Alipay. So it recognizes you. It tells you what to eat, and it takes the money from you, right? <laughs> That's um, phenomenal. And and that's, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, that's a futuristic right, right, right thing. But but it's here, right? Exactly. It's that's sci-fi movie stuff, right? I mean, you know, we've been waiting for that to happen. So, yeah, I mean, th- that's just amazing. I mean, we haven't even, you know, I, I I'm conscious of the time, and there's something that, you know, we haven't talked about, which is really important to the the, the bigger picture of and something that Shenzhen's part of, and that's the Greater Bay. Mm. So, uh, you know, again, I think, you know, today has been really useful for people who are interested in Shenzhen, curious, uh, and your book really does go a long way to unpack that and help people understand it. And really, one of the first attempts to tell the stories of people inside Shenzhen, which I think is phenomenal, is exactly what's needed rather than just data. Let, let's talk about the Greater Bay, because I don't think, people are even ready for this yet, right? I mean, a yeah. lot of people haven't even heard of the Greater Bay. So maybe we can start by talking about what the hell is the Greater Bay? This is something very, very fascinating. The, the Greater Bay area is is basically the cities around the Pearl River Delta. So um, for everybody who are listening now, uh, go to Google Maps and check out um, the Greater Bay, uh, the, uh, the, the Pearl River Delta. And there you can see Shenzhen, Hong Kong, Macau, Guangzhou, and all these cities. So mm-hmm. the plan is to connect these 11 major cities. Uh, it, they will have an economy bigger than Russia. Yeah. It's a monster, right? You have Shenzhen as the, uh, the hub for innovation. You have Hong Kong, you have finance, you have shipping. You have the, the, the province capital in Guangzhou. You have manufacturing. You have the supply chain in all these uh, factory cities around. And then if, 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 if that is not good enough, you have uh, Macau where you can go and uh, play some casino. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to try and measure the size of this thing. You talk about all those cities connected. I mean, there's 11 cities, I believe, in Greater Bay, right? So 
yeah. depending on who you ask, between 60 and 70 million population. Put that into context, California has 39 million. So it's 50% bigger in terms of people than California. And then you have the GDP, which, again, it varies by estimates, but one and a half to two trillion dollars. And that's growing fast as well. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's the key part of this story as well. It's how fast that's growing. And you talk about connecting it, and this gets really exciting. I mean, there's so many different angles and stories on that that whole connection. I mean, there's the the bridge that's just or is it opened. I don't know between Hong Kong and Macau, which that's the longest bridge in the world that's due to open in 2018, right? That's yeah, it will be open soon. Okay, and then you have the the bullet trains that run through the area. I mean, how uh, how sort of easy it's going to be to get around this thing? I, I think I don't know what the the numbers are, but from Hong Kong to Shenzhen, twenty minutes or something. Is that true? I mean, have I heard that right? By bullet no, train? No, no, that's 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 uh, wrong. It will not be twenty minutes. It will be fifteen. Downtown Hong Kong to downtown Shenzhen is just uh, before you have finished your cup of coffee, right? I mean, that's um, just incredible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So in terms of uh, infrastructure and the transportation, it will be like one big city, right? Um, but to connect what we talked about before about the people, the feeling, that's the challenge. Will Hong Kongers right. feel part of mainland China? Will people in Macau feel connected to the factory cities? Will will we have this integration? Will will it happen? I think it will happen. Um, but there's a lot of resistance in uh, in Hong Kong, and there's a lot of people in China who um, who don't really know how this is it's all going to happen. But it will be an ecosystem where everything you need will be under one roof. Uh, you, you will have everything you need from innovation to manufacturing, from shipping, and and finance. Uh, it, it, it will be. I think this will be the the world's most powerful business hub. That that's a powerful statement in itself, Johan. And you know that I I wonder if the world is ready for that, but. I mean, you've said it, and the the data is out there, the stories and the evidence is out there, right? So, I mean, but you you choose to live in Hong Kong, and this is what I'm interested in, that, you know, okay, Shenzhen's a phenomenal place for business, but do you you choose to live in Hong Kong because maybe it's a bit more relaxed? I mean, Hong Kong's, and I love Hong Kong as a city, but why do you choose that sort of setup when Shenzhen's there, you know, all the opportunities just over the border, and only 15 minutes away? Yeah, yeah. So I love Hong Kong. It's um, you know, growing up in the eighties with these uh, kung fu films. But, yeah. Um, there's this vibe here. It's Hong Kong is truly international, right? There are people from all over the world. Everybody speaks good English. Uh, you have you know restaurants uh, from everywhere, especially Asia, of course. Um, you also have rule of law here. You have freedom of press. Uh, you have freedom of speech all these things that are important for me as, as a journalist, you mm-hmm. know, I, I never have to be worried that, you know, some, someone will, you know, n- knock on my door and uh, tell me that I can't do this. I can't do that. I feel, I feel as a journalist safer in Hong Kong than, than I would in uh, mainland mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we also see how China is getting more totalitarian. Right. Uh, so this is the balance, right? The political side of China, which, it's quite 
um, disturbing at the moment. And you have the business side, the innovation side, which is yeah, so appealing and so, um, you know, lucrative for, for uh, businesses. So this is a trade-off, right? This is the trade-off you have to live with if you do business in China uh, as a foreign company. I'm sure there must be people around the world who are trying to weigh this up as well. And for those that have listened to this podcast and those that have maybe read your book and got interested in China, Shenzhen, the Pearl River Delta, the Greater Bay, and what's happening over here, how would you, you know, what sort of advice would you offer them, Johan? You know, if you were talking to a young graduate now who, who, says, hey, Johan, I, like, I'm really pissed off with you. I was going to you know, graduate. I was going to go and join the bank and it was all going to be good. But then you <laughs> bloody well wrote this book and it put this idea in my head that there's another world out there. You know, I'm going to graduate from university in Gothenburg or London or New York or somewhere in San Francisco. And now things have changed. Should I get over there? What should I do? I mean, is it too early to, for me as a graduate to go and start my career there? Should I visit, you know, should I, I don't know, should I go and study Asia studies in university? I'm sure this is creating a bit of confusion in people's heads now, because now we have options, whereas before it was a bit more sort of all laid out for us. How would you advise yeah. these people? No, I mean, first of all, I tell people, be open-minded. I mean, don't join the bank. <laughs> do, <laughs> do something more uh, exciting. Uh, I would, I mean, imagine, say, 30 years ago, someone said, hey, I've heard about this really cool place, you know, uh, Silicon Valley. Right. You should check it out. You know, I heard about this this company, uh, you know, Apple. And you go like, nah, I don't know. It doesn't sound very fascinating, you know, and you miss the whole thing. I would I would, I'd tell everybody that you don't have to go and live in China, right? You don't have to go to live in, in Asia. It, it's for some people. Some people prefer Europe. Right, Europe has some values that I'm, I'm, I'm really missing, right? And or uh, United States, but come here, like travel in China, w work here for a, a year or two, w work as an English teacher. Like before you join the bank, come to China and work as an English teacher, or just you know bum around for a year, l learn to know the, the people here, and and realize that China is not behind Europe, it's not behind United States. It, it's uh, it's here and it's it's going to take over the world in terms of business so just be open-minded to what's happening here and be curious mm. it's really cool place to uh, to travel and and uh, and live i mean yeah yeah i mean you, well, you don't even have to like you say you don't have to live there to be part of it somehow right mm. you know i mean we live in an increasingly connected world but just to be aware of it and have connections and great advice that you offer i mean just you know, get buy that plane ticket and show up, right? You know, yeah, I think that I works. Mean, even even if it's a very connected world and you can communicate with everybody, if you if you set your feet ground, I mean, you would never understand Tokyo until you have actually been there, right? Yeah, and you you can never understand Shenzhen until you have actually walked on the streets and you know hang out with with local people. Then then you will have the connection and. Yeah, so th this is something I found very important. This is what I tell all my friends. Yes, yes, go to Shenzhen. Uh, yes, check it out because this city is going to change the world. Wow. Johan Nilander, everybody, the author of 
Shenzhen Superstars, how China's smartest city is challenging Silicon Valley. You can get it on Amazon. Go and get yourself a copy because that's probably the first thing you could do right now. You don't have to book a plane ticket. You can go and buy that book and read that because it, you can read it all in, well, it's quite a quick read, isn't it? It's uh, You've given people a, an opportunity to get a taste of the future and you know, just a a short soundbite as well, but some of the stories in there are absolutely fascinating. And Johan's done a great job today of sharing those with us. Johan, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Where do people find out more about you if they want to find out a bit more about your background and so on? Uh, you can go to my website, uh, johannylander.asia, or maybe easier, shenshensuperstars.com. Or just Google my name. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the web now. Fantastic. Johan, thank you so much. Come back as well. Give us an update. Yeah, thank think, you so much. Yeah, I mean, things change so fast, as you say. The, the, the speed of change is phenomenal in that part of the world. So come back on the show and give us an update and let us know. We'd love to hear some more of your stories about the people that you've met out there in places like Shenzhen, because it really does fascinate us. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Graham. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.